0: esteemed audience, and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I'm your host, Rob Kent. As you know, I'm the author of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, and sequel Banneker Bones and the Alligator People. Uh, Banneker Bones is an 11-year-old biracial boy detective uh, detective he's basically batman uh, he's got a trench coat that has a um, grappling hook smoke bombs all the standard batman gear he rides around on a jetpack blasting giant robot beans out of the sky with an emp blast rifle uh, and he's got his cousin with him ellicott skullworth it's uh my favorite book obviously uh most exciting uh, adventure i've ever written uh and um it is available to you as a paperback and audiobook narrated and by the exquisite David Radke. Uh, and the ebook is free, free to download whenever you're watching or listening to this. Wherever fine ebooks are sold, don't worry about me. I'll get you on the come up when you have gotten immersed in the universe and you're uh, paying money for Banneker Bones and the Alligator People and the upcoming uh, yet to be revealed third Banneker Bones Adventure. Uh, under the super secret pen name Robert Kent, I have written the young adult novel All Together Now. Uh, If you like teens in crisis, if you want to see what would happen to Indiana teenagers if the zombie apocalypse broke out, uh, you want to see them desperate, trapped on the roof of a gas station, eating gas station food, trying to survive. All together now, a zombie story is your story. Uh, Once you are immersed in that world, also check out All Right Now, a short zombie story. Uh, And if you want to blow through the young adult and get to an extremely adult novel, I've also written the five-volume serial horror novel, The Book of David. Uh, The Book of David is about an atheist who purchases a haunted house that then begins to give him religious visions involving flying saucers. So it is out there. It is far and away. Once in a while, I think, you know, I should maybe think about unpublishing The Book of David. But it's too late. It's out there in the world. Uh, It's available the uh as a as a paperback the ebook for the book of david chapter one by robert kent not rob kent uh is free to download whenever you're watching or listening to this uh get in there get hooked don't expect uh a full conclusion uh no going in there's going to be a cliffhanger because i've got four more chapters of sweet sweet story for you uh and it just goes crazier and crazier by the time you get to chapter five uh, I figure it's your fault because I gave you four perfectly good opportunities to stop reading. So if you're still with me for chapter five, we're going for it uh, all the way. Uh, so check that out. Uh, as always, if you want to find out uh, who my next guest is going to be, uh, check out middlegradeninja.com. We've got a listing of the schedule of all future episodes, uh, plus interviews, uh, written interviews, you'd have to read in them as opposed to listen, uh, but you like books, that'll be fun. Um, Check out uh, interviews with literary agents, editors, authors, hundreds of great people. Uh, chat with Kate DiCamillo uh, and many, many others. Folks you know, folks you want to read, check that out at middlegradeninja.com. And that's it. I'm out of plugs. Let's welcome our guest, Lance Rubin. Lance, I am thrilled to chat with you. How are you today?
1: I'm doing well, Rob. Thank you. I'm, I'm very glad to be here with you. And I didn't realize just how prolific an author you are. That's amazing that you've written middle-grade, young adult, and adult. Uh, that's not easy to do, and I, I give you so much credit. It's
0: amazing. I'm toying with the idea of yet another pen name that will actually be secret, uh, just because I've, I've got some uh, projects I want to try that will not fit in with the middle-grade ninja brand, although that doesn't stop the, the Book of David. <laughs> right.
1: It's out there. You've already claimed it. <laughs>
0: Um, and uh, Lance, I always ask people, uh, I'm terrible about summarizing other people's books and other people's biographies. I'll yes. just fumble all through it. Uh, so probably the best spot to get started is if you would give esteemed audience uh, a little bit of an overview of your background.
1: Gladly. Um, hello, esteemed audience. Um, so yes, I have written, I've had two young adult books published with a third Coming out is out now. I've had three published by the time you're watching this, actually. Uh, the first two books are called uh, is the Denton Little series, Denton Little's Death Date and Denton Little's Still Not Dead. I'll talk about those uh, in a little bit. Uh, the third book's called Crying Laughing. But before I'd written any of those, I actually had been an actor uh, since I was a kid. I wanted to be an actor. I acted through middle school, high school, college, came to New York City, um, started acting in musicals. Uh, some TV some film uh, did comedy wrote some sketch comedy was was kind of doing all that stuff and that that was my plan I was like I'm gonna be an actor um, and then uh, my acting career wasn't bringing me much joy um, I'd had some successes but it, it, it things weren't really clicking into place I was not really enjoying most of the uh, parts of an acting career other than uh, other than the part where you actually do the acting but that's really just a small part of it. You're also auditioning all the time. Your schedule is changing constantly, which is not something I personally enjoy. I'm someone who likes routines. Um, long story short, I had been kind of dropped by my acting agent and my acting manager in the same month. It was really a bummer. Um, around that time, I read The Hunger Games and was like, whoa, this is this is exciting. This is fun. This is this is." A page-turning, exciting experience to read, Um, and I was so desperate for, like, something creative to do uh, that wasn't just auditioning for things I didn't like that I I read The Hunger Games, and I thought, oh, maybe I'll take this idea I've had in my head for a couple years that I thought I'd write as a screenplay. Maybe let me try and write a young adult novel, Um, uh, and that that idea was Denton Little's Death Date, uh, which did become my debut novel. Um, and what that book is about is it takes place in a world where everybody knows the day they're going to die, um, from the day they're born. And the protagonist is Denton Little, who's a 17 year old whose death date is tomorrow, uh, which happens to be the same day as senior prom. Bummer. Uh, it's a very dark comedy, um, page turning. I'd like to think in the same way as the hunger games, uh, but also funny, um, and those are the those are the quick brush strokes of who I am, how I got here, uh, and what I've written.
0: Exciting! That's uh, there's a lot to unpack there. I'm trying to think where to where to begin. Well, well let me ask you this: Where uh, where did you grow up? How big of a leap was it to move to New York?
1: Grew up in New Jersey, uh, central New Jersey, about an hour from New York City. You know, my parents took me to. Broadway shows starting when I was in third grade, I think, Phantom of the Opera was the first show I saw. Magnificent, that chandelier. Wow. Um, so so when it came time to actually move to New York City, it was exciting and like trippy because I'd only kind of visited there, but it wasn't It wasn't like moving to a brand new world. I'd always gone to New York City um, a couple times a year and, uh, you know, I was still living about it and still am living about an hour or so from my parents. Um, So it wasn't a huge, huge leap away from family and everything I knew.
0: So if you failed completely, there was, there was still a a food an hour away.
1: Yes. Yes. The safety net was uh, not, not a plane, plane ride away. It was, it was just a a quick train ride on New Jersey transit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm uh, fascinated. Did you, did you not have inklings of maybe wanting to be a writer prior to reading the, the Hunger Games? Well, let
1: me tell you, writing was always a part of what I did. Like, I, I was a generally creative kid, but it was always it was often not always, but often in service of my acting. So it would be writing comedy sketches or writing a musical that maybe I could be in. Um, but then there was, you know, uh, I wrote for the school newspaper in high school and and there was a column that got passed on um, as, as students would graduate. They would pass it on to someone else. It was called Random Thoughts. And it was just a humor column of exactly what it sounds like, just funny musings. Um, so I took on Random Thoughts, I think, when I was a sophomore or junior. So, you know, I, I forget about that sometimes. But but that was huge for me. And, and I was getting to like write funny things and they would actually be, you know, published yeah, in the school newspaper and classmates would read them. And when they were like, Oh, that was so funny. Like that was definitely the beginning of this kind of passion for, for writing funny things and having people respond to them. So, so to say, I, I didn't have an inkling of wanting to be a writer isn't true, but in my head it was just always so much like I will be an actor and the writing will kind of be something else I'll do. I always imagined it the same way. Like Steve Martin released a book, and started writing or Tina Fey, you know, has bossy pants. It was like, OK, I'll get my get my feet wet doing the acting thing. And then and then I can kind of, you know, write a book if I want to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, that that fantasy way that that, that people have when they're imagining dreams that uh, won't necessarily come true. But in this case, I did end up writing the books. I just it, it wasn't piggybacking on an acting career. It was kind of it, its own thing.
0: Well, it's funny, because I'm actually writing books as a way to break into my acting career. So that's. <laughs> <laughs> there
1: you go. We're like the uh, gang here of uh,
0: My uh, heart goes out to whoever took over random thoughts uh, post you. That's got to be just an impossible oh. job to be the dude after Lance Rubin. <laughs>
1: that's very kind of you. Well, I, I can assure you, not all of my random thoughts then were very good as I was reminded, (laughs) as I looked back at some old newspapers as my my parents were moving two years ago and I was cleaning out like some old stuff and I was like, okay, some stuff did make me giggle still, but some stuff I was like, that's a miss, that's a miss. That's one one bit I (laughs) I remember to give you a a sense of the flavor of what what was making me laugh at age 16 when I was writing that was like, one bit was like, who invented sleep? You know, like, did cavemen, I think it was written better than this, but it was like, did cavemen... Must have originally thought that their friends were dying all the time. And then suddenly they realized, no, it's sleep. It was like something like that. <laughs> something like that. I think it, it had a loose, punch, set up punchline construction more than that. But but these were the things that were on my mind. Who invented sleep? Who first discovered sleep? There's uh, really
0: a uh, old Calvin oh. and Hobbes where Calvin says, who invented milk? Who was the first person to said, I'll drink whatever comes out of that cow? <laughs> <laughs> that,
1: that's the funny version of what i wrote in high school uh, <laughs> no
0: i think the same thing is pretty yeah. Funny too.
1: <laughs> yeah no it's, it's it, that's a valid question like yeah who looks at that stuff and is like mm, this could be good and healthy
0: <laughs> i've got a collection of screenplays and a movie i made in high school and like i can go back and some of the jokes are still really funny like yeah young me you had it and right? then there's, there's like oh i hope the internet never finds that <laughs> yeah, I had a uh, lot of growing to do, buddy. <laughs> totally.
1: No, there's something beautiful about that, about seeing the seeds of who you now are, in in that young person, even if they were still like figuring it out, as anybody would be. Um, it's kind of cool to think, oh no, like the same things are making me laugh now, and it was all there. It's just a little more well honed years later.
0: Yeah, no, there's a few jokes that like that's funny then, it's funny now. I'll probably be an 80 year old man looking back like, ah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, you gotta you gotta rewrite those and make them into movies.
0: There's so much to to ask you about and and to talk about and where where all to begin because I want to talk to you um, about your time um, uh, as um, um, what's the word I'm looking for struggling to find as a uh, improv comedian. Yes, uh, I've I watched heard. videos of you singing. Um, but yeah. do you want to get right to crying laughing and circle back or do you want to start there and give it up to crying laughing which is available now esteemed audience wherever fine books are sold
1: thanks rob yeah let's start with crying laughing that'd be great and we can kind of circle back from there
0: um, well, i can summarize the book and make you feel awkward sitting there listening to me say it wrong or i could just say lance rubin author of crying laughing i'll take it. Uh, give us an overview of the book
1: yes crying laughing is about 15 year old winnie friedman who is obsessed with comedy. She loves comedy. However, when she tried to do comedy two years ago, two years before the book begins, um, it was at her bat mitzvah when she turned 13, Jewish tradition, the ceremony of of becoming an adult. Um, She tried to do a stand-up set at her own bat mitzvah and it bombed. So that uh, effectively convinced her, I'm not going to perform comedy I still love comedy, but I'm not, I'm not sharing my funniness with people because that was a terrible experience. So that's when the book starts. Um, sure enough, right, right when the book begins, uh, Evan Miller, the so-called funniest guy in school ends up, uh, kind of flirting with Winnie uh, in the cafeteria and she kind of makes a joke. Uh, and he laughs and, and he's like, Hey, you know, you should join the improv troupe. Um, so she does end up joining the high school improv troupe, even though she's still very reluctant to perform. Um, and, and then kind of comes into her own as a comedian. Um, and, and while this is happening, her, Winnie's dad, who is her comedy hero, the one who introduced her to comedy, uh, she thinks he's the funniest person in the world. Uh, he is diagnosed with ALS. Um, and so that diagnosis kind of deeply affects Winnie, um, and her dad and her mom. And, and so the book kind of tracks those two things kind of, um, what it means to kind of come into your own as a comedian and kind of come into your powers and be like, oh, I can do this thing uh, while at the same time having this devastating thing uh, happen to your family and and try and find your bearings within that.
0: So why? And I'm going to ask you this facetiously because uh, sure. I want to hear you talk about it. Yes. Um, why, uh, in a book about becoming a comedian, is it important also to have that element of tragedy, uh, introduced?
1: Yes. Well, I do think comedy and tragedy go hand in hand. And, and certainly one of the things that I thought that, oh, generally fascinates me and I wanted to explore in this book is the way we use humor to get by. That's always just something I love because it's something I do in life, um, and, and I want to explore just the ways humor is so helpful but also sometimes the ways humor is less helpful for um, you know getting through our day-to-day existence the ways we can kind of use humor as a shield um, that kind of keeps us from getting to uh, you know certain revelations about ourselves or, or whatever the case may be um, I'm obviously very pro humor it's not I'm not saying humor is a bad thing but it just just fascinated by the different ways we use it. And so, um, that, that was a big part of it, but I, I should say it's worth mentioning the crying laughing that is out on shelves is essentially the second version of this book. I had written an entirely, almost entirely different version of Winnie's story that did not involve comedy at all. I mean, it was still kind of funny, but it wasn't about her being obsessed with comedy. It wasn't about her doing improv. Um, uh, it, in fact, it had, much like the Den Little books, it had a speculative element that made it uh, more heightened and uh, not firmly grounded in our reality. Um, and the heightened element was that Winnie got superpowers. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. I wrote, <laughs> I wrote 300 plus pages of a book where the first line of the book, which was the first thing I came up with, um, was was this. The day, let me, let me see. If, I want to make sure I get it right. It's the day uh, I found out my dad was sick. Was also the day I got my superpowers. It seemed like a coincidence at the time, but of course later it became clear that wasn't true. So that was the seed of of that book.
0: Great and, opening.
1: Yeah, thank you, thanks. And there's still so many things I love about that book. However, um, during the creative journey of this, so I I, I had written that. I I didn't actually finish that draft, but it was like over 300 pages. I thought I was going to finish it and then submit it to my editor who contractually was allowed to look at it first um, because the the book was not bought yet. Um, And so my editor, Nancy Sisko, who I love, I love working with her. She had edited the first Denton books. She got to see this book first. So I was like, I'm going to finish it and get it in good shape and then show it to her, Um, even though I technically had the option to submit it on proposal, 30 pages in an outline. And I kept resisting that because I felt like my process was such that it would be better if I had the full book first, which is kind of a big mistake, and I wouldn't do that again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if given the option to submit on proposal, I think it's it's worthwhile to do it. Uh, let
0: us learn from your mistake. why Why wasn't that a good idea?
1: Yes, because i so i was I was like, you know what? Let me after writing these three hundred plus pages, I was like, now let me do this on proposal because I'm just gonna be writing this forever. Let me make sure she likes it. I think she's going to love it. Great. So I, I honed, you know, I I rewrote these 30 pages to make them really good. I I wrote an outline where I kind of figured out what the book was submitted it to Nancy, waited a while. And then she was like, I don't really like this. (laughs) I was like, what? Doug, what? Um, and she had There's a variety of reasons why she didn't like it. Um, one is that she's just not that into superhero stories. Um, to, but two was she felt like Winnie Friedman in that book, um, it was less clear who she was. And she had no sense, like she knew Winnie got these superpowers uh, and loved her father, but just had no sense of Winnie outside of all that. W- what were her passions? What drove her? What were her wants? What were her needs? Um, and I was, of course, just like thought she was wrong about everything. because that's how it is when you get notes that you hate. Um, when you hate it first um, and you know I was considering oh should I submit this to other editors you know wh- what do I want to do here but the more I sat with what she was saying she also felt like the book wasn't as funny as I, I could potentially be um, and she wasn't wrong it was like a darker feel um, you know as, as some superhero stories are because she was like doing some crime fighting in that one um,
0: anyway the more hearted crimes, I assume, big bombs exactly. and
1: dollar sign, uh, sack some money. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tons of sacks with dollar signs on nothing, nothing, nobody got hurt. Uh, the more I sat with her notes and, and then I actually uh, had lunch with her, which was very nice, you know, because she could have just said like, I don't want this book. See you later. But she was like, no, I don't want this book, but, but I like the themes here. And I think there's something here. Let's talk about what it is. And and that's where she shared some of those notes and, and long story short, then, I basically overhauled the entire thing um, and that was when I decided to bring improv in. Um, and another key thing I should say here is that some of the story is autobiographical. My father, who is still alive, um, had been diagnosed with ALS initially when I was in college. It turned out to be not exactly the correct diagnosis, but he was experiencing this neurodegenerative disease. Um, you know, he started walking with a the cane and then he started walking with a walker. So. It, you, you couldn't figure out exactly what it was, but it turned out not to be ALS. And then recently they've figured out it's kind of a subcategory of ALS known as PLS, which is primary lateral sclerosis, um, which is a slower progressing disease, uh, which, you know, I feel very fortunate that my father is still alive. Because when I first heard of the diagnosis in college, I was looking up information and, and ALS is a brutal disease um, and people die often within three to five years. Um you know, obviously I'm writing crying, laughing where that is when his father is diagnosed with ALS. I've done a lot more research and, and, you know, had gone to an ALS support group and I've seen, you know, how, how brutal the disease is. Um, but so I just wanted to make that clear. You're asking about the tragedy comedy that, that the seed for this character dealing with a father who's sick came from my real life. And I really wanted to, um, explore that too, just like what it means to have a parent who's ill, how that affects you kind of looking to your parent as this, you know, strong leader in your life. And suddenly they're being compromised. Um, in this case, physically compromised. Um, and kind of what that does. That's a very long answer to your question, but
0: uh, no such thing on this show. We I, love great. long answers. We want to know everything. Great. I Although mean, I want do want to play armchair psychologist just a moment. Please uh, and ask. Um, yes, yeah, so who who doesn't love being subjected so to yeah. that? Yes. <laughs> um, what uh, do you think that that maybe also had a bit of an influence on uh, Denton's death date? That all that thinking about uh, yes. uh, approaching death.
1: Yes, yes, for sure, for sure. I, I, I love, I love that you've made that connection. Yeah, I, I think I'm generally pretty fascinated by mortality and the way we live and, and thinking about death and talking about death and absolutely um, that comes from, you know, what happened with my dad and having to think, you know, very seriously about like, Oh, am I going to lose him? Are we going to lose him? Um, You know, what does this mean? And, And even beyond just life and death, just the, the death of who someone once was, you know, and having to see my father's, life change, you know, and him having to shift jobs and, um, you know, walking with a walker and, uh, falling a lot and, and all of that. Um, even when you're lucky enough to have, it turn out to be not a fatal diagnosis. Um, you're still experiencing this total changing of your world. Um, and, and I think there's some grieving for the world and life you used to have, um, either way. So yes, that, that, completely went to Den. I should say another revelation I had about Den Little's death date um, kind of a couple of years after writing it was that that was also about the death of my acting career uh, which is really funny because like I said I always thought I'd been totally positive I was going to be an actor from age eight and then once I was actually out in the real world you know acting and and not always enjoying it and not always having success with it. It was suddenly, it was so jarring because it was like, but this is who I am. I'm an actor. And um, like, I can't, when I'm supposed to be something else. Um, But then I kind of made the shift to writer. And even when I was finding the writing still fulfilling and really being like, Oh, I, I love doing this. And this fulfills me in a lot of the same ways acting did the storytelling component. Even as that was happening, I was still kind of like, but, but I'm an actor. You know, it was so and that was how everybody knew me on my friends, my family. That was like, you know, they knew I could write and did do some writing, but I certainly never wrote fiction. And so um, when I look at Denton Little's Death Date, it's about this kid going through this death. Um, The second book is, of course, called Denton Little Still Not Dead. So, you know that he has made it to at least a second book.
0: And uh does that bug you a little bit, knowing that there's a spoiler going in the book one? Yeah, or is it, is it mostly me. focused on humor and it's not that big of a deal? No, I, I've made peace
1: with it and, and have justified it in that way. But, yeah, I still have people tweet at me like, oh, I was reading the first book and then I happened to see the title of the second and now I know what's happening. <laughs> and I'm like, I know, I'm sorry. Originally, I thought
0: this humorous book would end in tragedy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <I> thought, uh, <laughs> uh,
1: Yes, I originally the second book was called Denton Little's Birth Date, which I hope would make people think, oh, it might be a prequel. Um, but ultimately, the publisher was like, this title's not very exciting, and so they kind of led the charge toward a new title, and we came up with Denton Little's Still Not Dead, which I do agree is funnier. It's like a, a better title to hear, but it does give away things. Like I said, I made peace with it, but I, I I do have moments where I'm like, ah. Just in general, it's been fascinating seeing the way reader expectations affects their reading experience. I mean, it's an obvious thing to say, but, you know, there's a lot of readers who read *Dent Little's Death Day thinking it was a standalone because initially it wasn't made that clear on like the Goodreads page or anywhere that it was there would be a second book. And I, let me tell you, when people <laughs> get to the end of a book they think is a standalone and it's not, that is they're not happy. They're not happy. They thought they were going to have like a contained reading experience. And suddenly it's like a cliffhanger. I'm going to have to read more book to like find out what's happening here. Which when I was writing it, I thought like, ooh, ending on a cliffhanger. People love cliffhangers. This is going to be great. And then they'll all want to buy the second book. No, no, that's not that's not how it works. I think if people are going into a series, they want to know they want they want a little like number one on the book itself. I think even Uh, that is one of the lessons I learned. I learned writing that book and, and going through the marketing of that book. It was like people people want to know what to expect, how much book they'll have to read to conclude the story. And uh, in the case of that series, they, they a lot of them didn't know. Now now it's a little clearer. But
0: yeah. what scandalizes me is when uh, people read the end of the book first. So like, oh, okay, everything's going to turn out all right. Now I can now I can sit yes. back and enjoy it. Yes. Like, no, that's not the. And like, like I can come to their house and jump up and down, read my book the right way. Right,
1: right. Everybody's got their way. Yeah, my wife, Katie, is very much that because she just gets so tense. Like, how's this going to be? How's this going to turn out that she would prefer to know? Sometimes we've even been watching the TV show and she'll like, you know, assuming it's aired already. She'll be like, I, I just got to look this up on Wikipedia and see. I'm sorry. I need to look at the synopsis. She she doesn't tell me because she knows I hate spoilers I'm the opposite. But you're like, OK, OK, I can watch this, you know feeling less anxious because I have a sense of where this is going, which is My interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mrs. Kent uh, for, for, for watching something that I, that I've seen and she'll just yep. turn to me and like, how does it end? And I'm like, I, I could never tell you that. What is right. You should divorce me if I did. Right. And she's like, no, i I'll, then I'll be calm. Said, right. Oh, that's a stupid ending. I'm not watching this thing. I told you it's going to be good. Just stick around.
1: Different, you know, different people have different ways they like to consume their art. And, uh, and that's okay.
0: No, it's not, Lance. If everybody <laughs> thought the way you and I did, then yeah. the world would be a better place. And I'm standing by that. <laughs>
1: okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um,
0: well, I tell you what, I've got more questions about Winnie. But since we're talking uh, about uh, Denton's Death Date, I did want to make sure I unplugged uh, your Snap original series available now. Yeah. Uh, and I also wanted to ask, how uh, how did you get involved with the Snap series? And why was how do you do a whole novel, uh, two novels? Uh, in 10 five-minute episodes.
1: I know. How indeed. How indeed. Well, so yeah, the, the, those 10 five-minute episodes just cover the first book, but that was very astounding to me when they said, like, no, we're going to do the whole book. I was like, in 50 minutes? And to all of the people involved, to all of the, yeah, all of the people who are involved credit, credit, uh, I feel like they did it very well. Like, obviously, you don't have the whole book in those 10 episodes, but They really captured the spirit of it um, and and the overall arc of it really well. Um, So I had adapted Denton uh, into a screenplay myself, and I'd been working with a producer, um, and he'd been giving me notes, and I'd been doing rewrite after rewrite. And then I had the screenplay it was good, and we started kind of going out to people, um, you know, different production companies that could potentially help make it. Um, And in the middle of – as that was happening – This producer Jesse Israel, who I'd been working with, he connected with Snap, and they were like hungry for original series. And he sent them the screenplay, and they were like, "We're into it." And then they read the book too. Um, And suddenly, they wanted to make it. And you know, Snap series is still very new even now. But even then, when they were first getting in touch about it, I was like, "What? What is this?" It's like it's made for mobile. Okay, what? How did? How long the episodes? Like five minute episodes? Like okay, all right. Well, it's not it's not what I expected uh, because I was like wrote this whole screenplay. But then once we started talking to Snapchat and and the production company they brought on board, Snapchat basically brought on this production company, Insurrection Media. Uh, Once I was talking to them and I I felt like they really got the spirit and tone of the book and, you know, it it started to sound exciting to me, you know, the idea of a new medium, you know, because uh, which is. The the time we live in right now, there's just new ways to consume entertainment all the time. Um, So it suddenly seemed exciting, like the different things you could do um, with this made for mobile medium. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of texting within the episodes and just like it it, and it's shot actually for uh, mobile viewing. So it's actually the frame is like your phone. Um, So anyway, long story short, so I, I became an executive producer on that. Uh, so I was involved in the process, which was cool. They brought on this great TV writer, Jason Ubaldi to adapt it. I got to see his drafts, give notes, you know, they didn't necessarily always take my notes, but I got to give them, um, and I was involved in the casting and, and, you know, it was really cool and it got made. I feel so lucky that, you know, they, they made it and it exists. Um, and I'm really happy with it too. I think the casting is great. I love the actors. Um, uh, and it's just a, it's just a fun fun series and you can watch the whole thing in less than 50 minutes. Just go to the discover section of Snapchat. Um, everyone basically everyone I know who's like above the age of 25 is is terrified by the idea of Snapchat. I, I can't <laughs> say how many people say to me, it's like I, I, I don't have Snapchat. It's it's I, I'm anxious to even go on there. I was like I know I was the same way as you it's very easy though you just download the app, grade an account, and then just go to the discover section, you watch a show. You don't have to snap anybody. You don't have to start sending snaps or starting snap streaks or I, I still don't really understand that part of Snapchat. But um, but again, yeah, the series got made, which is cool, because now that I've kind of I have a better understanding of the way optioning books works, uh, not that much better of an understanding, but at least kind of. Um, and, you know, books get optioned all the time, but it's very rare for things to actually get made Um
0: which is so, great because you get paid for nothing, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. totally. I mean in this case, you know, I would kind of give notes and stuff and, and I helped develop the series originally. But yeah, yeah. It's that's it's super great. Um
0: I've got a buddy who will remain nameless as all buddies do when I uh, when I out stories about them. Yes. Uh, but uh, he's got a book that uh, has been optioned a few times and he gets excited every time. I hope they don't make this one because I'll get paid again. No. Yeah, <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly. No, That's so true when they don't make it. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good point. However, you should tell your buddy he will get paid more if they do end up making it. <laughs> so that's that's a good reason to hope for it to get made. But yeah, no, that that's so true you could just kind of like ride those options and it's nice. You already wrote the book yeah. work is done
0: since you're involved in casting, knowing that you are the greatest possible actor for every role in the story. Since you, you know, them more <laughs> intimately than anyone could. Yeah. You didn't uh, pitch yourself like, Hey, have you thought about maybe going a little bit older with them? Like a lot I, older, like I not that. really I, <laughs> high school. I got
1: very serious. I wrote a very long email explaining why I would be the best one for the part, even though I'm 20 years older than the character. Um, uh, <laughs> they just no one responded i'm still waiting still waiting to hear back really, really painful worked really hard on that email and i even had some video clips yeah, <laughs> yeah. when i
0: i think we're hearing some improv comedy but i want it to be true
1: this is, good. This, is good. this is good yeah no it's not true it's not true rob that was a bit
0: uh-huh. And, <laughs> it was good stuff. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, you've also got a song available, which is, is, is my number one fear. Uh, if there's one talent I, I'm so coveted to sub for myself, it would be the ability to sing. Uh, in fact, you mentioned the Phantom of the Opera. Uh, yes. I dragged my wife to it, and my wife um, is not she's not down with uh, emotional uh, musicals, uh, okay. but, but especially the emotional ones. Um, so <laughs> she'll hang in there for, like, Hamilton, okay. um, but... The phantom, you know, she sat there, oh, the chandelier is nice. And then by the end, she's got her arms crossed. And then she looks over at me and I'm just weeping uh, at the end because, oh, my God, I didn't realize she was going to kiss the phantom and then leave him down there. And uh, she's just looking like, who have I married? Who are you right now? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I was I uh, wanted to ask you about uh, singing because you've got, I want to make sure I get the title right. It's a great title. I'm going to die this spring. So let's make out tonight. Yes. Uh, which I have been enjoying multiple times over the uh, past week listening to. Nice. Um, when did you write that song and did it help you at any point with the books?
1: Funny story about that song. So I, uh... That is a song, right, that's mentioned in the first book. Denton talks about how he met his, his girlfriend, Taryn, and, and how part of it involved him playing at this talent show at school, and he played that song. Um, he wrote and played his own song, I'm going to die next spring, so let's make out tonight. Uh, and that, that was part of what made Taryn fall for him. And I was always thinking as I wrote that book, oh, when this book comes out, i, I got to actually write that song, and that, that'll be great. And this speaks to uh, how much I procrastinate. I didn't actually end up writing the song until the second book came out. Um, and then I played it at the launch event for the second book, uh, cause better late than never. But so, so, in as I wrote the first book and I mentioned that song, I had an idea of what it would feel like, but I had no idea what the song was. And, uh, it took me, I don't know, three years later before I, <laughs> before I actually wrote the song and followed through on it. And I'm glad I did. And I'm glad it exists. I, Now I've been procrastinating on actually recording a version of it that could be like, you know, an MP3 for people to enjoy uh, so they don't have to just watch on YouTube. But I haven't done that yet because it's a common theme. I'm happy that I have finished a lot of creative works, but there's a lot that I haven't. uh, And I've just made peace with that. Sometimes it takes a while or it just never
0: happens. Just for fun, oh, a couple of weeks ago, I went back and I uh, did a check for Robert Waller because I thought maybe it was a fever dream I had in the 90s. Did he have an album? And I was <laughs> like, oh, yes, The Bridges of Madison County, the album, it exists. I forgot about it. And he sings all <laughs> about Francesca and he sings about the characters' motivations, just dead serious. And no shade, I don't shame authors. Yes, uh, I, I like the bridges in Madison County. I think it's I think it's a very enjoyable read. And I'm, the song uh, is not terrible. It's a little uh, bit of music because I can hear the author getting a little bit choked up. But like, it, bro, you wrote the book. You have lived with these characters for how long? Are they still hitting you right here? But, yep, nope, that was his truth. And he's singing oh, it. <laughs> so 11 amazing. more songs about uh, Denton. Uh, and then you you can be our modern <laughs> Robert yeah. James Waller. Oh, man, I got to
1: follow in Robert James Waller's footsteps. Uh, that's amazing
0: youtube search it's him in front of bridges with his guitar singing oh it's great (laughs) okay
1: great i know what i'm doing after we finish talking
0: it's i mean you know i should clarify it's not that great like oh brace yourself for amazing music but like just uh, for an author right like going out there and just being the most author you could be like yeah i love my stuff what do you want from me it's great (laughs) yeah yeah
1: Look, again, it's all about expectations. And I would not go in expecting incredible music, but I would just go in expecting this could be fun to watch. And I bet it will be.
0: It's just the passion was that you can see he, he's right. not afraid. It's like, I really do love this stuff. That's why I spent yeah. my whole, all this time working on it. And I continue right. to talk about it. It's mine. I just, it's right. great. <laughs> he's not trying to
1: just cash in. It's not some soulless cash grab. He's, he's
0: like, I also love making
1: music about these characters.
0: I after the movie came out, I think it might have been after the, the epilogue or whatever, the second book came out. Oh, so he yeah. was already like he was, yeah. you know, he backed up in his uh, Maserati or whatever the fancy car was back then yeah. to record the video. It wasn't a cash grab. It was just, I love this stuff. I'm I doing got the cash
1: already. I've grabbed all the cash and, and
0: <laughs> this. this is what I'm I, doing with it. <laughs> my memory of,
1: of Madison County actually is I, I haven't read it, but as a kid, I'd always look at the New York Times and just you know check out the bestseller list, and I'd just be like, "Bridges in Madison County, 155 weeks in running, or whatever it was." That book was just on that list forever and ever, and I was just very impressed by the fact that this one book could just be bought and bought and bought and bought just for years.
0: Oh, but he sold more copies than my uh, minister at my small town church I grew up in because every Sunday. He came he'd make sure I mentioned, don't forget, if you read Bridges in Madison County, you're going to hell. I thought, like, oh, really? <laughs> Let's check wow. that book out. That's what he would say? <laughs> <laughs> don't forget, by the way. This is what this is. This is no, what I had gonna... some, he had some variation on it. It wasn't every week, but it came up often. Like, oh, they're that's... glorifying infidelity. They're going to destroy our families. Well, yeah, <laughs> I think they're glorifying Meryl Streep and Clint Eastwood, but all right. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, yeah, we please. have wandered very far from crying, and laughing, which is great. Uh, great. But I did, like, uh, want to ask you um, about uh, well, about ALS a little bit, uh, yep. just because it, it strikes me that this is book three. Um, that you know this, this extremely profound uh, experience. I never want to be Barbara Walters and be like, please cry, Lance. Please, I don't. Um, uh, sure. so I, I, but, uh, that's why we're, we're we're laughing about bridges in Madison yep. County before I come back to this um but three why do you think it was uh you needed to write two books before it was finally time to write about this or had you written about it previously was there was there a period of separation that was useful to you from the original experience
1: right definitely i would say yes definitely um time helped but yeah i think it was less less of a conscious decision than that i think you know, I had the idea for Denton that became my first book. Naturally, my second book was going to be just the sequel to that. And then when it came time, you know, was this third book going to be? Actually, I didn't have to think that hard because that line came to me um, that I told you about. Like the day, the day my dad got, the day I found out my dad got sick, was also the day I discovered I had superpowers. Um, and I should say that that line and that idea of what that book was of Winnie getting stronger as her dad gets sicker was inspired by a real thing. My dad said to me, um, you know, a couple of years after he got sick, when I had first gotten out of college and I, and I was starting my acting career, I think I had a couple of successful things happen. Um, and I remember him saying something to me like, uh, you know, maybe, uh, let me get this right. I was like, Hey, maybe the sicker I get, the more successful you'll get. And he was being kind of tongue-in-cheek and it was kind of like a joke, but that stuck with me so much. Cause it was, it was like, I don't, I don't want that. Like there's something so twisted about that. Cause it's like, if it's between you remaining healthy or me having this great career, I, I choose you being healthy. Um, you know, and, and you hear people, I, I just saw someone tweeting about this recently about, Um, these moments when really good news, good personal news might come at the same time as really terrible news or something terrible happening to someone you love and at the same time you get this great news. And I think the tension between that, between those two things, there's something very human and universal about that. That's just like what life is. It's the mess and the triumph. They're always, it's very hard to compartmentalize those things, you know, because it's all just happening all the time. And so that was, That just seems so interesting to me um, that that's what got me writing about that. And when I first started writing that story where she had her superpowers, I wasn't sure if I was going to directly make it ALS. Um, I felt like, oh, maybe he should have something kind of unexplained. Maybe it's like he has this unexplained illness and she's got this unexplained thing and then it all ties together. But at the same time, then I started to feel like, ah, in the first Denton book, it was like he – you know, had this death date and was scheduled to die and then makes it to the second book. He doesn't die. There's the... I've said the words. There's the spoiler. Alert. He doesn't die. I've come out and said it. And
0: you won't want him to.
1: And you, you won't want him to. Thank you, Rob. Um, but I felt like I don't want to do... I don't want to work in that world again. I, I If I'm going to write about death again and mortality, I'd like it to be... I, I don't want there to be any loopholes. I want it to be like, no, this is, this is life and all its messiness. And so... So ultimately, I felt like, no, I think I think he'll be diagnosed with ALS and there won't be a way to save him, you know. And that was kind of part of the theme of her being a superhero was going to be that she has all these powers, but she can't save the person she wants to save the most. Her dad. I still think it's a very good idea, although while at the same time feeling like crying, laughing, the book I've written is, is a better a better book than that one was, at least in that form. But, um, you know, in a way those ideas went into crying laughing because her superpower is kind of her ability to be funny and her comedic ability, um, which she's, you know, learning how to use these powers as her dad, who was like the, the funny person in her life, her whole life. He is, you know, losing, losing his powers, maybe not his abilities to be funny, but he's like physically losing his, uh, his powers. And so, you know, I feel like those themes made it into the new version But, um, you know, in a a more grounded form.
0: It's interesting uh, to me. Is this was this your idea? Okay, no superpowers. The equivalent to that is uh, improv comedy. Uh, Or was that suggested to you Did that kind of come out of Uh, the discussion?
1: Yeah, I think it was once my editor said, you know, when he doesn't have any passions, I felt like, well, she should have some passions. And I remember talking about it with my wife, Katie, and she was like, well. Maybe, you know, she should have some of your passions or maybe like, what's, what's a world you want to go into? Maybe it should be comedy or improv. And I was like, yeah, yeah, maybe it should be comedy or improv. And, and, and that slowly kind of unfolded in my mind. Um, you know, I loved the idea of funniness as a superpower too. And, and like I said earlier, as a way, a power that will help you kind of cope with life, um, if you use it correctly, um, so, yeah, so I just kind of naturally got there and I got excited about the idea of of writing about improv because I, I hadn't read a young adult novel that had improv in it. I feel like some probably exist, but I couldn't think of any. And so it felt like new territory and that I could be kind of, you know, right offering something new to the Y.A. canon. Um, and yeah, and all of those things combined. That said, um, and I've just been writing a a little essay about this just earlier this morning, uh, that, that it's not like a secret that I could say where it's going to be, but it's going to be on some website. But the essay was about, um, how it was also terrifying to write about improv because improv is known to all improvisers as being an art form. That's very hard to recreate the magic of improv anywhere, but in the theater where the improv happens, um, even, you know, on TV, you get shows like Whose Lines Is It Anyway, but that's short-form improv with, like, structured theater games, as opposed to long-form improv where it's scenes made up from nothing. That is notoriously hard to capture on screen. And then I was attempting to capture it in a book, um, which felt like a foolish decision at first, um, until I realized, like, okay, I'm writing, I'm writing about improv in a book, though, so I can actually illuminate what what a person is thinking while they're doing improv kind of like the, the the rapid fire you know thoughts you're having as you're trying to make up a scene uh sometimes you're very present in that scene sometimes you're, you're thinking about how you're failing as it's happening um you know I'm sure
0: recipe to not spiral down into
1: <laughs> oh yeah no it's, it, it can be awful uh and so once i locked into that um that just seemed exciting to me to write about improv and then the fact that it worked thematically, um, also just improv is all about being present, being in the moment, um, listening, all these things that I felt like um, applied to the story and applied to, to what Winnie and her, her father, Russ, and her mom, Dana, are going through and, and you know lessons they're needing to apply to their life uh, that they may not be applying.
0: And then, um, are superheroes still on the table for you? Because there's a possibility we might yet see a a different Lance Rubin superhero book. Yeah,
1: maybe, maybe. I mean, I've always loved superheroes. Um, you know, big comic book reader as a kid always dreamed of like, oh, I wish they would make superhero movies. Um, of course now they have like, it's all superhero movies. So I I feel like we're a little superheroed out and, even now, there's so many good subversive twists on the superhero story, but I I, I don't know. I, I, I would only want to do it if I had a truly original take on it that I thought was putting something new into the superhero world. Um, yeah, doing it just to do it, uh, I think, wouldn't, wouldn't feel satisfying, but certainly possible. I love those stories when they're done well, so. I don't
0: care if they uh, tell me the same story over and over again. Yeah. Uh, when I'm 80, in addition to uh, looking back on my high school stuff and still laughing, yes. I'm going to be in line for the new Batman. I'm ready. Hope yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <You can't laughs> oh, the
0: Waynes are coming out of the theater. This isn't going to end, well. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the Waynes. Oh, yeah. Dude, do you see every Marvel movie? Do you see every, like, are you?
0: Ah, sooner or later, yeah.
1: Sooner, okay. But it's not like you go every Friday night.
0: Oh no, I it. mean there's there's so many. Uh, although if I'm but no, I was gonna say, although if I'm leaving the house it's probably gonna be something that they spend a fair amount of money on. Uh yeah. to compete with all the, the homework I have of Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu and God knows how uh uh Snap. Uh yes. original programming. Yes. Uh, it's uh endless. Uh I I feel like I, I literally have television homework it and it makes me almost resistant to watching TV anymore. Like if I'm watching this, I feel guilty because I heard recommendations for ten other great yes. shows that I don't have time for.
1: Yes. It's so funny. I talked to a lot of people about that, about how the, the extreme volume of content makes you watch less. Uh weirdly. There's like so much available that you're like, I I don't know what to watch. Let's just not watch anything. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Time to read a book.
1: Time to so, read a book.
0: This will work out well for you and me because uh, TV will uh, cannibalize itself and we'll get all the readers.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. It's just going exactly how we planned it, Rob. <laughs> Let's
0: create more, more series.
1: There's expansion <laughs>
0: so, many, so many platforms
1: that <laughs> no one will watch anything and they'll need their books.
0: here be be my, my Andy Warhol quote. In the future, everyone will star in at least one season of television. <laughs> <laughs> Good.
1: That's apt. It feels like, uh, yeah, somebody's got to act in all these shows.
0: <laughs> Why not? Why not? Yeah. Why not? Uh, person listening. <laughs> you could be it. Yeah. Uh, speaking of acting, are you going to be uh, narrating the audiobook for Crying and Laughing?
1: I will not. Great question. I did narrate the, the first two Denton books, and that was a pure joy. Uh, really, that was that was so cool to kind of fuse my, my past acting life with my current writing life and get to, to be in the booth doing that. But since Winnie is a female protagonist, I will not uh, narrate it. And also, the right audiobook rights have not been bought yet, so there's no guarantee it will be made into an audiobook ever. I really hope it will be. Um, but if it happens, I'm actually really hoping my wife, Katie, narrates it. She actually is an audiobook narrator. Uh, she's also a writer herself, but... Much like me, she's an actor turned writer uh, and she's such a great narrator and she's so funny. And I think she'd do an amazing job narrating. So is that, there
0: that, a place online we can send a steamed audience to go check her out?
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, I guess if you just look her up on Audible, you'll, you'll find all of her the books she's narrated. She would be mortified that I'm sharing this uh, because she always cringes listening to her own voice. But she's a fantastic narrator. Her name is Katie, K-A-T-I-E, uh, Shore, S-C-H-O-R-R. She's narrated. Everything from adult books like The Hating Game to uh, middle grade, young adult, uh, young adult series Evermore by Allison Knoll. Anyway, she's and she's an incredible writer. Um, she's written this book that has not yet been published, but it's so amazing. Uh, and uh, yeah, so you listen
0: to Evermore. Fantastic. You listen to it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I a... interviewed Allison Knoll, available at uh way back in the day. Uh, yeah. And I listened to the Great. Evermore uh, audiobook.
1: That's nuts. Well, you've listened to my wife, Katie, narrate. That's wonderful.
0: Well, outstanding. Yeah. Uh, tell her to come on the show. We'll talk audiobooks sometime. Yeah, <laughs> I will.
1: I will. Great. Now with
0: that, uh, I'm trying to think with that, if, if I would, if my wife uh, narrated my audiobook, if that would be a good thing for our marriage or a bad <laughs> thing. <laughs>
1: yeah well you could be in the booth with her like no no let's go back let's go back that was not the right read on that line that's 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 wrong it's wrong sweetie
0: you don't get me at all <laughs> yeah I thought, I
1: thought you were someone else i thought you knew me
0: what uh what was the experience like of recording your own audiobook uh with the Denton littles
1: uh, it was good it was good it really was fun i mean it recording an audiobook in general especially a book of any length is just, it becomes a very exhausting experience, even though you think like, yeah, oh, you're just sitting there reading, but just using the voice and like putting all of that life and, uh, you know, excitement into the voice, depending on what part it is, doing different voices. Um, it's just, it just like drains you. It was nice that I really loved the book because I wrote it um, and it was it was a joy to bring it to life. But I remember, coming in the second day and and it was like i think it was three maybe eight hour days where we recorded you know you take a lunch break you take breaks for like eight hours the beginning of the second day i was like oh boy wow eight hours of reading this thing okay all right here we go here we go i was like and again this is like you could not love a book more than one that you wrote but i was like wow geez if i'm feeling this way about a book i wrote i can't imagine being an audiobook narrator, you kind of come in for your second day. It's a book you don't like, maybe, and you're just like, "All right, time to make the donuts." Let's read this thing. Let's read this thing. Um, and, and also, it was funny because like there were certain words that were bizarrely challenging to pronounce. I remember "murdered." Even saying that "murdered" is is <laughs> it like comes out kind of marbly when I say it. And so I remember having to kind of just like do those lines again and be like. You know, what, if I, what if I'm going to be murdered? murdered, and I, I'm still struggling with it. But that, that's a funny thing. When you've written these things and then it comes time to say it, and you're like, that's, that's not how I imagine it sounding in my head. I'm mangling these words. So
0: Who yeah. read my beautiful book? Yeah, why tried? they run it?
1: <laughs> did this?
0: Who do you scream at?
1: <laughs> funeral is hard, too. Funeral, when it's in the context of a sentence, and you're like, I was getting ready to go to my funeral. Fun- funeral yeah it's going all right now but that was a tricky one <laughs> all the death words murdered funeral yeah if
0: I ever read my own audiobook which i don't think i will uh because i listen to this podcast and that, that's funny um but uh it would probably be the book of david just because i can't imagine foisting that on someone else i like, nah, i did it i'll take the responsibility what is in this book? <laughs> I I, I read this thing there is a character named sexy jesus no. uh who may or may not be the actual jesus but he's definitely got hot abs and uh live walking around uh looking good for the entire five volume series and yeah. he says uh, he says all the terribly offensive things you would hope a, a character named sexy jesus would say oh, it's a laugh. It's, um, i think it's wonderful it makes me laugh lots of folks yeah. uh i've been uh Delighted to see, share my sense of humor, and are also very much enjoying the book. But I'm just waiting because it's it's countdown. I've already had a few people. My proudest review uh, of just about any was a uh, two words. It was just too satanic. Yes,
1: <laughs> <laughs> nailed it.
0: That's metal. I'm Did it. <laughs>
1: doing the work that I want to do in this world. Yeah, too satanic. Wow.
0: I grew up to be who they told me not ever to grow up to be in Sunday school. Did it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's cool. And that's that's available. Uh, where can I find the book, of David?
0: Oh, sure. It's uh, available wherever fine ebooks are sold. So if you right. uh, you got yourself a Nook, you got yourself uh, yeah. a Google Play account, you got yourself a Kindle. My guy. get yourself the book of David or you can just get the paperback. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and one day, probably never an audiobook, <laughs> but Not this day.
1: Never say never. Right. That's, yeah. that's
0: true. Although, speaking of Never Say Never, my, my next follow-up question for you is, when, why is your acting career over, over? I mean, isn't there – I mean, obviously, you're not going to play Denton Little. Uh, but you've got a lot of books and you. I can sense this. And sooner or later, uh, you or somebody else is going to write the perfect Lance Rubin breakout role, right? That's, that's, or is it just not some, something you're interested in, period? No.
1: Um, you know, I love that you say that because uh, I, I, I do love acting. Um, and no, I, I would not say acting is over for me. What is definitely over is like pounding the pavements, going auditions, um, just kind of working that, that acting rat race, which I just found no pleasure in. Um, however, you know, if, if it gets to the point where a friend of mine's making a movie and they're like, this part would be great for you. And it seems like it's going to be a fun movie to make uh yeah i would definitely consider doing that and uh for example a uh, a buddy of mine joe iconis writes music writes musicals uh, i first met him acting in his musicals and then we went on to co-write a musical together uh called broadway bounty hunter that just happened off broadway this summer um but he does concerts all the time and i, I perform in his concerts still um you know When I shifted from actor to writer, really, in my head, I shifted to thinking of myself uh, not as an actor, but as a creative person. So it's like I could do acting, do writing like I just like doing creative things. Um, And that was helpful, helpful way for me to think about it. Um, And even though now I I will lead with I'm a writer, it's still in the back of my mind. It's just that thought that I'm a creative person. And I, I tell that to young people, too. It's like, don't don't box yourself in really all people young or old don't box yourself in saying I'm a this I'm a that um, because you might really you know the way way I ended up with with fiction writing you might really have a knack for something and, and find joy in this other creative thing um, that you're not even thinking of so really keeping your mind open to that um, and, and my mind is definitely open like I said to acting but it's just not I'm not pursuing it you know if great acting opportunities fall in my lap and they seem fun and Fulfilling, by all means, yes. But I'm not. I'm not trying to be John Krasinski anymore.
0: <laughs> He's not trying to be John Krasinski. He's uh, <laughs> actively trying to find roles as far away from Jim from the office as he can get. That, exactly. He's just
1: now. <laughs> uh, no, that that's been an interesting thing too. Because all the people who I wanted to to be like circa 2005, when I first you know got uh, into to New York City, was like Adam Brody from The OC. Loved him. Don't know if you watched that show, but he was great. I loved that. No,
0: but I watched Smallville and he did a season on there.
1: Oh, nice. Okay, great. Yes. Really funny actor, but Zach Braff on Scrubs and um, yeah, these were actors who I felt like, oh and John Krasinski in the office, who actually I, I went to college with John Krasinski. We like overlapped a year and we were in a play together. I, I don't think he really remembers me anymore, but that, that's a side note. But but John Krasinski's career looked amazing. But then when over time you see you just see how hard in an actor's career it is to kind of maintain that, um, you know, all these people I mentioned are still working. But like it's just hard to consistently end up in like shows and movies that are good because it's just not all things are good. <laughs> um, and that's just the nature of the business. And and seeing that, I think, is very helpful for me to um or seeing that has been helpful for me and feel like I've made the right decision because I, I, I like being in a position to make the art I want to make, um, and, you know, exercise my creativity in, in ways that, uh, originate from me, which is, which is cool. Um, I
0: have, uh, this notion, I want to ask you about it. Yeah. Um, that I think actors should be actors, uh, writers, uh, should be forced to take at least one or two acting classes because i'm convinced doing that preparation of building a character comes in handy when you're building characters on the page
1: absolutely and that was one of the biggest discoveries i had when i started writing a book i was like oh this is especially since denton is a first person protagonist i was like this is i don't want to say it's like acting exactly but it uses a lot of the same things you know when you're an actor you're inhabiting a character you're trying to know them fully so you know how they think and react and Um, behave in different situations and you know when you're writing a first person protagonist the same thing you're just in their footsteps you're in in their shoes in their footsteps that's not the right phrase you're in their shoes and you're trying to react as they would react and, and think how they would think and write down their thoughts and obviously you're creating the whole world around them too and and creating the other characters as well but um there was so much overlap there that was surprising to me and I was like this is fun this is you know, it it was using all those skills I'd honed from decades of acting, um, in a different way. And, and I know other actors turned authors, uh, who feel the same way. Like there's, there's quite a few, like, um, Ann Haydu, who's written both YA and, and middle grade books. She was an actor turned author. Um, there are others who are not coming to my mind right now, but, but it's, it's not an uncommon thing. And I think for that reason, um, there's just a lot of overlap, and, and YA especially, which is so, um, there's a real like nowness to YA. You know, a lot. I feel like a lot of YA is is often in present tense because it's just like exciting and visceral, and like it's all about the action. Um, you know, the plot moving and and being in that character's shoes and reacting, and you know, so so YA especially, I think, is really. Um, Makes, makes sense as a, as a fit with actors to go into YA.
0: Plus, well, so I assume you don't have to worry about somebody stinking up the place with a bad performance because you're playing all the characters, right? That
1: too. That too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, making any kind of movie, play, TV show is all about dozens of people coming together to make this thing. And everybody has to be on their game to make it work. And, and so when it does, it's it's fantastic. But when you're writing a book, you have the luxury of, you know, you've obviously got all these people involved and marketing and, and you know making the book from that perspective but as far as the actual creative content you've got your editor you've got you you've got your other readers but it's it's really uh there's there's a lot more within your control
0: it's not like uh getting up in front of people and being able to um uh, oh shake your paper back and uh, uh sing and smile and and have a presence hasn't come in handy i mean Yes. And the reason we met, you came, which I appreciate, you came all the way here to Indiana for RosieCon. Shout out to RosieCon. We love them. Yeah. Uh, and I love authors who come all the way to Indiana and meet us because I want more to come. Uh, yeah. So thank you for that. Uh, but how, how does, uh, how, what have you found to be the most effective forms of marketing and presenting yourself to, to move those books?
1: Oh, man, I'm still figuring that out, Rob. It is, it is a, a challenging nut to really crack. Um, and, you know, I love festivals like that When Rosie Calm was a great one. Um, but there's so many wonderful teen book festivals. And those are great. I mean, I have no sense of how much, you know, you definitely sell some books at there, there, so that's great. I don't know how much it kind of affects book sales overall, or there's a ripple effect of people seeing you there, reading the book, telling other people. I'm sure there is. But more than anything, I love those teen book festivals just because you're actually interacting with so many passionate readers, many of them teens. Um, so it's just so always inspiring and invigorating to remember, like, oh yeah, there's people reading this, you know, so much like sitting alone writing, as you know, and you kind of can forget that there's going to be someone on the other side of that, hopefully enjoying and reading the stories. And so teen book festivals are always invigorating that way. Um, as far as other marketing things, I, I, you know, now my new book, Crying Laughing, is out, and I've had to wrap my head around, you know, like how do i get as many people to read this as possible because you want to make the best book you can make I, I feel so fortunate it's actually published um but then it's like how do then the next hurdle is like how do you convince people um in a world where there's so much content as we've talked about there's so much to watch so much to read so much so much news to read how how do you get those people to actually pick up your book and read it and
0: new assassin's creed every year
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, all those assassin's creeds, I mean, how how are you gonna compete with that? uh, yeah, you know, so then there's the social media component and and I really do enjoy Instagram, I think is my favorite Twitter I like um but yeah, yeah, it's like how what is within your control as an author to do, and I, I don't think I have a set answer, I think all these Ideally, all these all these avenues come together and, and get the word out on your book. And you know, uh, I love doing school visits too. along with team book festivals. I've done a fair amount of those. Um, whenever Denton has been on like a state librarian list, um, as it has in Illinois and um, South Carolina, um, that's always cool because you know then you do get invited for more school visits. I find from that because these lists you know all the librarians in the state often look to these lists like what are the young adult books you know we're all reading right now um so that's been cool and i yeah i love a good school visit it's the same thing as a teen book festival where you get actually get to interact with the young people who are or could be reading your books um and without fail they're always curious excited you know ask great questions um generally give me hope for future generations but um yeah, I don't know. How, how do you find like marketing? How are you getting the word? Obviously, you have this amazing podcast, so that's you know people. That's hearing... it. Yeah. <laughs> go.
0: No, I uh, I go out, I teach, I, I do events. Yeah. Um, and uh, I do uh, local events. I do some traveling. Um, mm. Not much with the Twitter. I I don't like Twitter. I mostly just like other people's tweets and like oh look at all the people saying yes. clever things.
1: Yes, <laughs> no, that, that's how I am too. i I've, I've given up trying to say clever things. If I think of something, I'll, I'll just get it up there. But I spent too many like long <laughs> chunks of time with like, with a half formed joke. It's like, ah, wh- what is this joke? Oh, oh. And then suddenly 35 minutes have gone by and I still don't have the joke. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? This is not who I want to be. This is not what Twitter is for. Wasting time trying to think of a perfect joke. And sometimes when you do get the joke down then it's like two likes, cricket, cricket, it's like, man, I just spent 25 minutes honing this thing.
0: That was, was my day. Yeah, that was my day, and I didn't even go viral from it, man.
1: <laughs> so, I don't know. I'm thinking about it all the time. It's like we live in this time when we have these, all these tools right at our fingertips. You know, you can go Instagram Live, you can live stream yourself. But, but everybody has the tools. So, it's like the, the tool, the power of the tools becomes lessons as everyone has them because it's just that much more content they're competing with. So it's very hard to actually figure out the innovative ways to use them. That's actually, that's going to pop into somebody's brain and be like, Oh, I should read that book, you know, or I should watch that thing. It's a, uh, it's a conundrum. And, and at the end of the day, I always keep coming back to, I try to do as much as I can for marketing. I try to get my books into the hands of people who I think will enjoy them and who could spread the word. But at the end of the day, it's got to be like putting your energy into that next creative thing, and, uh, and always always looking forward a little bit because, otherwise, you drive yourself nuts. Just being like this. Well, I
0: mean, in all fairness, for writers, we were gonna do that anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's true, but,
1: but it's easy to spend your days, you know, after a book comes out or, or once a book is available, looking up Amazon sales rankings or just thinking like, oh, is anything good happening? Internet, tell me something good. And, and, you know, I, I still fall into those patterns, but I try and catch myself and be like, okay, you can do one check of things or one, you know, looking to see if there's a new review up on Amazon or something. And then you got to just like work on the new thing. Cause it's, it's just not helpful. It's not productive. And uh, just because the internet provides you these windows into, you know, how a book might be doing, it's not, that'll still be there tomorrow. You know, if something really cool has happened to your book, someone will let you know, you know.
0: Let me refresh. Am I rich and famous yet? How about now? How about now? <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 exactly,
1: that's exactly it. It's like, ah, uh, this is not this is not a productive use of time.
0: I did, uh, we're going to have to wrap this up, uh, <laughs> unfortunately. And I have so many questions for you, but I did want to <laughs> ask you uh, about um, uh, uh, politics just a little bit. Yeah, um, you try not to ever talk too much about on this show, right. um, just because, you know, you're, you're hearing it elsewhere. You don't need it from us. But I yeah. do see that you're pretty outspoken uh, politically on Twitter. Yeah. You're not worried about uh, I, I, I always think of those book loving, really empathetic Trump supporters that uh, would come yes. read your book. But now you, you've you said that you're uh, pro Pod Save America, you're pro Elizabeth right. Warren and all that right. stuff. And yes. uh, do you worry about dividing your audience
1: no i don't i mean maybe i should think about that more but just this moment that we're living in in america i do think when you mentioned the empathetic trump supporters i know i know they're out there you're absolutely right of course but in in a way i think my focus and, and outspokenness about politics is because this moment i think has transcended politics and and has gotten to for me basic ideas of empathy and decency um And of course, because we're all in our misinformation chambers, um, you know, it's easy to be like, it's, it's easy to even be, you know, right. So I'm I'm a left-leaning person, but it's easy to be a right-leaning person, I guess. And then look at, look at people who are Democrats or blue and be like, well, they have no empathy. Um, but that said, I, I, I just don't think that's the case. You know, when we have the things in the news that are happening of families being separated, um, you know, uh, executive orders, discriminating against trans people, no no trans people in the military, you know, again and again, we have all these things where it just feels like, no, like this, this goes to the core of decency, empathy. Um, And so, so that's really what motivates me. And I feel like that's, that's more important. And I also feel like people who read books, you know, are people who are engaging in the act of empathy every day. So, so I, I would think, um, and, and hope that, uh, you know, me, me talking about politics or whoever's talking about politics isn't necessarily going to turn them off um, and will only make them more curious maybe, I don't know, to read more or, or just, I don't know, just, to, just to, to go into an empathetic place and, and, and think, about, uh, think about their own views or, or what they've been taught to think about these things. Uh, I'm kind of rambling because I, I haven't got to talk about this, but I really like this question. Um, bottom line is I, I just think we're at a moment where, uh, politics are even have taken a backseat in my mind to just like overall empathy and decency towards your human fellow humans. And when I see the policies coming from the white house that are just simply not that and, um, you know, the, the GOP Senate supporting those policies I just feel like, well, this is not a, this is not just about politics. This is about, we really need to come together, um, and, and we can have disagreements about things, but let's, let's at least treat each other all like human beings. And, and, uh, I think there's, there's nothing more important than that. Also, the fact that I feel like it's a genuinely dangerous time for democracy and, and it feels like democracy could, as we know, it could no longer exist, which would then mean we're looking at even more, um, blows to empathy in America and even more discrimination, even more oppression, um. So it's all, it's all connected. And I feel like when I'm writing books, I'm trying to make people think and trying to make people maybe want to be kinder to each other or maybe think about what it means to be a human being. And and when I talk about politics, it's the same thing.
0: Something that I, I personally struggle with because I, I, I get to, wait, I go through these highs and lows of, I'm so angry, I'm so angry. I'm yeah. apathetic. There is no hope. It's all over. <laughs> right. uh, and then I think, well, who are these people out there? They're like, kids in cages cool sex with a porn star that lines up with my evangelical christian values no problem uh wait a minute a tweet from the middle grade ninja hold on (laughs) let me rethink things and then i wonder am i doing something productive or am i just uh exposing myself to trouble without really moving the needle on the other hand you don't want to just right where were you when nazism happened in america oh i stood by and watched it happen
1: Exactly. Exactly. No, it's 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 such a tricky, tricky tightrope. But I think at the end of the day, I think the the ladder that you just mentioned has to wins wins out for me. It's like, how can we not be talking about these things? And and I, and I specifically don't I try and keep it positive and productive. You know, the, the first year after our president was elected in you know, 2017, there's like all tweets about him. But now I, I do feel like I don't. I, I generally avoid talking about him at all. I just think that's, that, that just feeds his ego that feeds him. Um, I'd rather just think about his policies, think about what's happening um, and try and try and take a positive spin on, on helping um, inform people and, and, you know, activate people to try and do what they can and, and be aware of what's happening in the country without just being like, well, President did this. President did that. Wow, how how was such a terrible person elected? Like I I I'm past that because it's like that's happening. That's a reality. Let's not give that more oxygen. But let's try and think what we can do in this moment to be kind to each other. To try and um, you know elect new people to support you know, organizations that are doing great work. To um, you know help help these families that have been separated. You know whatever the case may be. Um, just trying to. Trying to use whatever limited platform I have, limited audience I, I have, um, to maybe create ripple effects where people will think about something that they didn't know was happening or want to take some action on their
0: own. Another serious political question. Uh, Lance Rubin, have you ever seen a flying saucer? Do you believe in them? <laughs> uh, um, um, I've not seen one. Uh,
1: But yeah, I think I do. I think I do believe in them, actually. And I think in the past year, there have been these like different sightings by the military where they're like, we really don't know what this is. Where that's, you know, that 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 goes a long way toward building credibility in my mind. Like, yeah, there's there's something maybe going on.
0: There's some stuff flying around. Maybe that's why I get frustrated. People aren't more political. Oh, my God. Let's find out what they got. <laughs> right. Ignore the tweets. Let's talk. If the, the 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 Pentagon came out and said they have materials from Flying Saucer. What? What, what do, do you th- have? Right. <laughs> Show right. us. Please reveal, reveal the They have the cure for cancer. Why are you sitting on it? Yeah. <laughs> flying Saucer
1: delivered everything we need to achieve world peace and uh, cure cancer. Yeah. So yeah, do you?
0: Oh, oh yeah, hundred percent. Okay is uh, why I ask. I think people probably get tired of me uh, talking about it. I don't believe everything I mean obviously it's sort of one of those things like it's uh, like religion where there's you can't know all the unknowns at this point so there's a lot right. of people out there filling it in with whatever they want right. uh, I'm not with them uh, but in terms of just like is there a credible case at this point that there is flying saucers in, or there are flying saucers in the air uh, that at least some government agencies know about them and are keeping them secret yeah yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, <laughs> no, there's no right. question. They've yeah. come out. They've said it. It's on record.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> the 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 paperwork alone is one of those things that I marvel at. But uh, half the men that went to the moon uh, came out later uh, and 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 went on record that yes, the government knows about flying saucers. Uh, and it's one of those things where I always wonder: is that a story about a government conspiracy? or Is that a story about how sad it is to be? an astronaut post heyday and nobody's paying attention until you say the alien thing either way it's fascinating (laughs) (laughs) it's funny yeah
1: yeah both both rich both very rich scenarios
0: either way it'd be a fascinating book i'm I'm reading that yeah Yeah. uh practical question and we gotta i gotta go be a dad so we gotta call it a day Uh, um Kids ruin everything, (laughs) yeah, indeed. Just Um, take, take, take. What are you gonna give? (laughs) Wait for that moment, too. Yeah, but uh, if there was one thing that you could go back and tell uh, young Lance, um, about writing, about life, uh, or both, something that would have made a significant difference that might make a difference for all the writers listening now, what would that thing be? I think it
1: would be keep making things without being afraid that they will fail or be bad. Um, I am a perfectionist. I was then. I, I've, I'm I'm learning to work with that perfectionism um, and kind of push it push it away because it's so unhelpful. But yeah, I think if younger me could hear that. Um, that would be a helpful, a helpful kick in the pants um, because yeah I, I think it's very easy to feel like oh I need this to be amazing or like I, I want this to be so good so then you make nothing and I think it's so much better you just learn so much everything you make every, and you learn way more from failure than success so um, I would encourage younger me to fail as much as possible um and and to obviously feel the rejection uh, and pain of failing but uh but also to know that it's it's a good thing you want you want to you want to chuck up all those failures because uh it's only going to make you a better person artist everything
0: i had a professor that used to say fail forward fast get it yeah. out of the way get well, to it yes well said well, well, Lance, where uh, can esteemed audience find you online, stalk you, buy all your stuff?
1: Yes. Check out my
0: website,
1: which is my name, LanceRubin.com, R-U-B-I-N. Um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at LanceRubinParty because I once thought it would be fun, once Lance Rubin wasn't available, to add the word party after it because parties are fun. So I'm at LanceRubinParty. And... Uh, yeah, check out Crying Laughing, which is available from all your uh, book retailers online, all the places. Um and yeah, thanks for being here. thanks for being here. Thanks for having me here, Rob. Well,
0: thank you so right. much for making the time. This has been an absolute pleasure. We gotta get our own show together. Yeah. Let's take this thing on the road. It'd be fantastic. Seriously. We we got <laughs> a good thing going here. A lot of good bits. <laughs> Uh, as always, esteemed audience, find me at middlegradeninja.com. Check out who's coming up on the show. Download your free copy of The Book of David, Chapter 1, Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees. Get them both. They're fantastic and free. Um, Lance, I am always asking our guests to sign us off with this totally ninja-like, justifies-the-name-of-the-show sign-off phrase, which is "Hiya" and what-have-you. Will you sign us off?
1: Hiya and what-have-you.